Welcome in, everybody, bringing you inside NRG Stadium, in particular the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio for Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, joined by my good friend, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vanmeer. Mark, how was your weekend? Are you happy about Cam Smith winning the British? Uh, Joe Dirt. Joe Cam Dirt Smith. wins the British. I mean, I was getting so many texts from people and all over Twitter. There's the Joe Dirt stuff because he yep. kind of looks like Joe Dirt a little bit. Uh, he played remarkably well. I think it's really interesting how the media loves Rory McIlroy so much. I don't know why yeah. they love him so much. When did that happen? I don't know. It's like, Rory didn't lose it. No one say choke job. And I wasn't oh, going to, but why are you telling me not to? Why are you telling me what to think? Yeah. Even the writers, not necessarily the editorialists. <laughs> Is that a word? Anyway, the opinion guys. So I was kind of surprised about that, just the media being so in love with Rory. And I think... The golf media loves Rory because he's not on the live tour. Although yep. <laughs> afterwards, afterwards, the questions were flying to Smith about, are you going to be on the live tour? He's like, oh, my team handles all that. Oh, yeah. I'm just here to, you know, and there's a lot of speculation. And I don't know if it's happening. Basically, already I'm today, only here so, so I don't get fined sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know what this is all going to mean eventually, but it's a topic in golf. You know what's good for golf? People talking about golf. Yeah. So in that way, the live tour is good, but I don't think it's ultimately that good. So who knows? Anyway, Johnny, I love watching the British. Loved watching Wimbledon last week. Yeah, parts of it fun. anyway. I actually watched the Scottish Open too last week because I'm a golf freak. <laughs> and this time of year, you're, you're so starved for football that any sports morsel you get, you're like, ooh, this is so delicious. I've got like one little piece of shrimp cocktail here. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start feasting on football. Week from Friday, as a matter of fact. So... You can ask me what I watched this weekend. Yeah, what did you watch this so weekend? So, in the fall, what do we do? We watch on Saturday, we watch college football. So, right. I watched 2017 Oklahoma versus Ohio State. Of course you did. I watched 2017 Oklahoma versus Texas. Okay. I watched 2016 Texas Tech versus OU, which, by the way, Baker v. Mahomes. Was good. Oh, my God. That was it's, good, it's, huh? um, it's unbelievable. Then Sunday, NFL Network was running the top 20 or top 25 games of the year. So I watched the Rams-Niners Week 18 game. Uh-huh. I watched uh, the playoff game between the uh, – the AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs. And I turned it off before I got to Bill's Chiefs. But that second half in overtime is football orgasmic. I mean, it's, it's unreal to watch those guys go after it, Allen Mahomes, the way they did. Yeah. I, I just – that game will leave – such an impression because teams will think we got to have one of those guys. Uh, let me break it to you: those guys are those guys are a different breed, man. They are not out there. But it was interesting watching that Texas Tech game, and I about Mahomes in particular because I'd watched Baker in 2017. Like for some reason, they're popping up on this NFL throwback, right? So that's where the Oklahoma games came up. And so I'm watching Baker, and I'm like, he legit was unbelievable. A trophy winner. Yeah, but but the throws he made, too. Yeah. The throws he made were incredible. He made some dumb decisions at the time. He's Baker. But my goodness. Well, if you go back to 2016, and you're watching Mayfield and Mahomes go at it in Lubbock, Mahomes makes a couple of throws where – I shouldn't say we because I saw it back then. Like, I knew he was going to be – it was going to be feast or fam with him, but I was all aboard the Mahomes train. I was, uh, uh, I was ahead of it early. But when you look back, you can see he just rolled left 
or not rolled left, but he moved out of the pocket to the left and just flicked it 50 yards and put it on a dime. There was one time he did it on the left side, then there was one time he's fading away. He's got no power, and he drops it in a bucket right at the goal line. It's like you look at it and think, how did anybody not think this guy was going to translate at some point to the NFL? Do you think the team performance affected that? Yes. If their defense was better, yes, I they performed better as that. a squad. They yes. won 9, 10 games instead of really struggling. Oh, he's struggling. running Cliff's offense, yeah. and it's air raid, and it's quick this, and it's quick that. Well, look, in fairness to the people who passed on him, and you don't want to be that fair, but Texas Tech quarterbacks, right? Yeah. It hasn't always been great, right. and they've True. had a lot of guys who have put up a ton of numbers. Now, I know that his talent shined through and above right. so many of those players, but you Still. know it's one of those things. I mean, Texas Tech, how many guys have like set a record, and then the next guy breaks right. his record? You know, Kingsbury, and then you have Graham Harrell and BJ yep. and all the guys who have played there. Sonny Cumbie. Man, the 2003 season when Simmons was playing, Oh, 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 Texas Tech played some incredible games. I was doing some research on some of that. Just, I don't know why it popped up, but it, it just popped up and I got to thinking about great games in which quarterbacks have faced one another. And I keep thinking, okay, well, who's a great quarterback in this year? Oh, they faced Texas Tech. Who's the quarterback? B.J. Simmons. B.J. Simmons. B.J. Simmons. It's just, I mean, he was just incredible in 2003. But we all should have seen the Mahomes thing. Like we, I feel like we should have seen it. But either way, I am working right now, Mark, on the extensive, the only preview that you need as a fan <laughs> coming into this. training camp. Yeah, it's going to be one article, one document, and you can have that with you at training camp, and you can read about particular every player. I don't care who it is; you can read about every player. You're doing so, the entire ninety-man roster. Yeah, the entire ninety-man roster, and I am about sixty percent finished. Okay, so I'm I'm putting some work in, some stats, how they got here. Like I'm trying to make this the preview. You come to camp and you see that that's your starting point, and then you go to my observations each day, and you're good to go. When it got me thinking, as I was going through this roster, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see this guy. Oh, this, boy, this pressure on this guy. So it got me thinking about some categories, some superlatives, and uh, what's the opposite of superlatives? Some opposite non-superlatives. Under the radar, no, subtlety. Kind of. Here okay. we go. All right. So I'm going to start with this first category. Okay. I want you from the 90-man roster, in your opinion. Okay. Not the general masses. Don't, I mean, not that I don't care, but not to them. You, the veteran on this roster that you think has the most to prove in training camp. Now, I got different categories. So, the veteran with the most to prove. I'll go first to give you a second to think. Go ahead. I think it's Ross Blacklock. I've said okay. this for a while. I don't think it's too much surprise. look at been. him as such a young player. I know it's class of 2020. Yeah. But – you're right. He's a veteran. He's in year three here. And year three is when you got to show, right. hey, I belong here. Yes. A lot of guys drop off after yes. year three who were drafted relatively high. He was the 40th overall pick. So I understand what you're saying. Let's go the other way. All right. How many players in Texans history that you can think of? I can think of one right off the bat, but his issue was injuries. But how many players can you think of that in the first couple of years were mm, okay? Showed some flashes, but really hadn't hit on that potential. But in year three, it clicks. Clowney's the one that comes to mind. But 14-15, it was more about the injuries that slowed him down. Right. And then in 16, once J.J. got hurt and they took Clowney and kind of moved him around like the chess piece, 
then all of a sudden you start seeing Clowney become what Clowney became. What was here Boye's first year? 13. All right, so 13. So year four yeah. is where he really started to shine. Right, right. And that earned him the big contract with Jacksonville. Right. And we say a lot of times it's where you're drafted doesn't matter, all that kind of stuff. But A.J. was an undrafted free agent. Yeah. On his first rookie contract, basically. I've got my veteran, by the way. Ross is on that second contract. Here's the other thing about Ross. There are a lot of additions at his spot. Malik got resigned. They drafted Thomas Booker. We saw Roy. I mean, I'm just talking about both interior spots. Right. Michael Dwumfor showed some things. Now he's a different player than than uh, Ross, but some interior guys showed some things last year and did some good things. This is year three for Ross. I think he's got a lot to prove in his camp. But if he proves it, this defensive line can go to a, a completely different level because if Malik plays at his level, Roy does and continues to grow, um, and then Ross says, you know what, I'm taking over. All of a sudden, man, you got something. Because I think Booker's going to be here for a while. I think Booker's going to be an excellent player. So my mo- my veteran with the most approved is Ross Blacklock. Yours? Well, before you, before we get to mine, before – well, without getting into numbers, right, as far as numbers of snaps, give me a percentage of whoever's going to play the most snaps on that D-line, what percentage of the snaps is that number, right? Is it 60% Malik or yeah. – Roy Lopez plays 70% of the snaps, or is it less? I think you hit it. I think it's 60% Malik. That, that, would, okay. be my, that would be my answer. Health okay. permitting, Good. I think 55 to 60% of the snaps Malik. We've said it a million times. They got 17 guys in the D-line. You're not carrying 17 into the season. Right. But the hope is that with those 17, there's some depth. And, oh, by the way, just as an aside, we were just talking about the 2017 Oklahoma games. I was watching Oboe, yeah. Okoronkwo. He's got something. Like 2017, he was a he was a problem off the edge. I'm really curious to see what he's able to do uh, from the outside. So he's that, in the category of sneaky hot signings, like we talked mm-hmm. about last week, yep. or acquisitions with Rasheem Green from right. Seattle. Uh, and then you look at Steven Nelson. Yep. You look at Oboe. It's going to be interesting. All yep. right, my guy is Max Sharping because uh-huh. I'll stay with the homegrown players, the players who not homegrown from Houston necessarily, but homegrown that you acquired them mm-hmm. from the get-go as an organization. I know that regime is gone, but he was drafted in 2019, and he was drafted to make a difference on the O-line. He was a second-round pick. And here you have players coming in. You have Kenyon Green. You have other threats to right. play guard. Can Max shine through and start or at least, well, you're not going to rotate on the offensive line, but at least be here, be one right. of the seven dressed on game day, and we'll see how the rest of it goes. And, you know, people get hurt, spot starting, whatever. At the very least, that. But continue his career here as a Houston Texan as it is year four for Max. Yep. So I think it's a big year for him, and he'll be the first to tell you that. Yeah, no doubt. You classified as contract. It is contract year. It's his last year here yep. uh, on his rookie contract. So that becomes all too important. Okay. Go from veteran with the most approved to the rookie with the most approved. Now, I the, that's tricky. It is tricky because you, know, you come with a lot of uh, excitement coming from college. I think we probably would. Well, I don't want to speak for you. Derek Stingley becomes that guy because he only played three games in college, that kind of thing. But I think Damian Pierce has a lot to prove as a rookie because. Not to mention that John McClain put the hundred or the thousand yards this year as a rookie season, but because the Texans have not had success at the running back position, 
And like you just said, they added A.J. Can, They added Kenyon Green. Larry Tunsil's coming back. Titus Howard is going back to his original position. I do think that Damian's going to carry a significant amount of pressure that the fans are going to want to see him prove it, that he's the guy that he could take over at running back. I would love to see him, DP, get 1,000 yards. I think that's a lot to put on I him based on the fact that in a 17-game schedule, you had only seven players rush for more than 1,000 last year. So the league, the way things are being handled in backfields all over the NFL are different than years past. We see it. It's a by-committee thing, injuries, whatever comes into the equation, load management. And I think even in 2020, there were only eight maybe who had 1,000 yards. Yeah. I might have that number wrong. Not a big so number. So I think Pierce could have a hell of a year and not have 1,000 yards. Yeah. Based on this team was not good statistically in running the football, meaning not good running the football last year. They want to improve dramatically. We talk about it. You can improve to the high teens, and wouldn't that be incredible as a leap for that team? I always go to 2007 when they went from 28th to 14th in total offense. Look, Pierce, to me, I see what you're saying because the expectations are high. He's got the big personality. He comes from an SEC school. We need the running game to be saved. Can you do it? It's not just about him. It's O-line. It's Absolutely. George Warhop coaching those guys as well. So we'll see. But I, I understand where you're coming from. I think Stingley is pretty obvious based on the fact that you said that he's, he's coming off the injury. He's coming off not many games played recently in college. And when you're drafted third overall, the expectations go sky high. Yep. It's like if he had dropped for some reason and you got him where you got Kenyon Green. right. right. It changes. It changes everything. Everything. But Green, I think, becomes a player with high expectations. And, hey, they reached up. to Not reached. They moved up to get you. I hate to use that word reach because it has connotations. Yeah. They moved up to get you. And, look, you warranted that pick. Can you live up to it? Right. And if he's not starting right away, you know what people are going to say, Johnny. Why isn't he starting? Right. Well, if he's not starting, I'm going to say it like this. I'm hoping that they're extremely productive running the football and whoever they have in there, AJ can, you know, right. we talked about him. Uh, you know, we just talked about max. They got to find a mix there at guard. So I think green is certainly going to feel that a little bit, but look, you're a rookie offensive lineman. It's hard to come in, step in, you know, not everybody's Quentin Nelson. Right. It's a right. tough spot <laughs> right. at guard to be drafted in the first round, step in and make an immediate impact. Never mind, earn the starting spot. And it's going to be interesting for the coaches. Is the experience good versus maybe we get a little more production out of a veteran? I don't know how they're going to play that. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. And you bring up a great you bring up a great thing. When you mention the word guard now, everybody compares to Quentin Nelson. Like how does this guy compare yeah. to Quentin Nelson? Measuring stick. And that's really it's really not fair yeah. <laughs> because Quentin is by far the best guard in the league. And there aren't there's nobody in his class. But when you draft a player in the first round okay well is he Quentin Nelson was he Quentin Nelson is he that good yeah and the Chargers are going to go through that too with Zion Johnson who I got a chance to see at the senior bowl and I, I fell in love with I thought he would be a really good Texan everything about him was going to be good but I think he might transition to center at some point whereas Green's going to stay at guard okay I'm not exactly sure how to phrase this one okay but here's how I wrote it down most and I can't do this for a rookie but most improved veteran. Now, this is not anybody that was with the Texans last. That was, I'm sorry, that was outside the Texans last. So Steven Nelson, not talking about him, Oboe, those guys. I'm talking about a veteran that has been here for a few years. 
few years. Or a veteran that got here last year. Mm-hmm. Or guys they've drafted. But the player that you expect to be most improved in 2022, I'll go first to give you a second to think about it. I've got one, but oh, go do on. you? Well, I think go ahead. it's going to be Titus it. Howard. Oh, you stole my answer. I knew I was going to steal it because I knew you were going to steal mine. So okay. I went with Titus Howard okay. because Titus, look, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? He wants to be yeah. a tackle. Uh, these guys have all been doing camps and workouts yeah. and different media people catching up with them around town during the desert and everything. And he's talked about wanting to be one of the best tackles in the league. And that's a goal for him. He wants to shine. He wants to show out, show up, show out. Let's see if Titus can do it yep. at right tackle. And Laramie's got to hold it down at left tackle, stay healthy. Clearly, you need that pillar there yep. in Laramie Tunsil because if you have a stud left tackle, a Pro Bowl left tackle playing the whole way, my gosh, everything can feed off of that on the offensive line. It's not like it doesn't matter. It matters greatly, deeply to have Laramie there as your rock, and then it all flows from there. But if Titus and Laramie can hold down the edges, oh, my gosh, this yep. team can do a lot of fun things. Yeah, Titus was Titus was actually the second player I thought about. I thought about two players, and they play the same position. So since you took Titus, I'm going to take both these guys at the same position. And one has been a guy who's drafted in 2021, but – I don't know. I mean, I still think he's going to be really improved. The other one has been around for a while. He came back from a catastrophic injury, and he shows flashes, and that's Brevin Jordan and Farrell Brown. I think there are a lot of things. When I think back to Pep Hamilton's offense in 14 and 15 with the Colts, I think about Dwayne Allen and Jack Doyle. I think about those guys being together, the way that they used multiple tight ends, and the way that Pep has used multiple tight ends. What we saw in OTAs in minicamp, we saw a lot of sets with two tight ends, and I think those two guys out on the field, and, and we talked about this, I can't remember if it was on there or off the air, but when you use those two guys at tight end, you don't always have to get in, you know, in a, in a set that is, you know, two running backs or this under center with one running back. You could spread, right. you could spread teams out yeah, once you put Brevin. those two in there. So if you're matching personnel – and not matching the exact players, then you could get in a situation where, oh, they're in, they're in 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. We're going to put our base unit out on the field, but then all of a sudden you got to cover Jordan and you got to cover Farrell Brown, and, one, and they're spread out, and one of them's a linebacker. Now, you're, now you can create some issue with that. But I think Brevin last year needed that first half of the year to kind of get up to speed. But he got up to speed pretty quickly in the last half of the year. He had 20 catches and showed what he could do. Pharaoh's flashes have been lightning strikes, but we need it to be consistent electricity. Those lightning strikes have been great. Game in 2020 against the Patriots, and he's running over everybody. He has that in him. He makes the one-handed catch against the Jags, but then he also has a 15-yard penalty. He's got a holding penalty. It's the inconsistency. But I think if Pharaoh, who, by the way, in OTs and minicamps, as I was looking at him, I thought, well, he slimmed down a little bit. He looks like he's in really good shape. Right. He can stay healthy. I think Brevin Jordan and Farrell Brown can be two guys together can really rise at the tight end position. You know, the tight end position, we've come into the training camp period of the offseason. Well, it's really now the preseason. Right. Historically here in recent years, like, all right, Darren Fells, oh, he's not going to be part of it anymore. Uh, Jordan Thomas, oh, he's not going to be part of it anymore. 
I, so maybe I should rephrase it. Entering the offseason thinking this guy's really going to make hay next year. Yeah. Thomas is definitely going to make hay. Fells is definitely going to make hay. You know, Fedorowicz, unfortunately, has to retire. You know, Farrell Brown is here for a reason. He's got the ability yep. to really be a difference maker on this team because he's different, obviously, than Brevin Jordan. If you could get Farrow to play at a consistent high level week in, week out, my gosh, that's going to yeah. rise the tide Ooh. for Brevin Jordan as well. And, you know, he's going to get better year one to year two. Look, I always say they all got to get better. If they don't get better, they're done. Yep. You're done. Yep. You can't stay the same in this league. You get better or you die. Your career dies. So I, I fully expect Brevin Jordan to get better, especially the way he looked uh, during parts of the OTAs that we saw. So I'm excited about that tight end group. Okay, last one. What do you got? It's a veteran and a rookie. You can answer it once or you can answer them separately. Okay. And this one's a fun one because it's just your opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, these all are our opinion, but it's has nothing to do with what we've seen already. It's just who you like to watch. Who are the veteran and rookie you're most excited to watch in training camp? And you cannot use quarterbacks. You cannot use Davis. Yeah, Davis. yeah. It does course. not count. Of course. Most excited that you are to see in camp a veteran and a rookie. I'm going to leave Cooks out of it because it's the Michael Jordan Award. You know, yeah, Cooks gotcha. is going to have practices at training camp where you're like, okay, Cooks, yeah. bubble wrap. You're beautiful. <laughs> we love you. Did you see the video that I think Brevin posted it? I don't know who it was, but they're having a throwing session somewhere. <laughs> Brandon's in full gear. He just doesn't have oh, shoulder yeah, yeah. pads. On. Yeah, yeah. He's got his helmet, like, jersey, and everything. That was just, awesome. Like, took the uniform from his locker and <laughs> yeah, just, just left for the yeah, uh, exactly. For the break drove between away. mini camp and training camp. I'm going to go Philip Dorsett. I've been on this train for a while. The Philip Dorsett train. Yeah. Of, you know, let's see what he can do in his second season here. As he got here last year, made yep. some plays, got hurt. Stay healthy. Let's see what you can do, big fella. As far as the rookie, I want to see Mechie, you know. How about yep. Mechie's older brother playing in the CFL? It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, his his story, Mechie's story, his background, it's incredible. I mean, I feel like just to tell the whole story, you could do like we, you know, our man Tyler Sutter does the 53 the documentary. Right, you could, you could spend a 53 just on his background. Yeah. His background's it's incredible, but I think it's also molded him into the player that he is. So, all right, uh, player I'm most excited to see in camp is AJ Can. Wow, I, it you sounds, picked an offensive lineman and right, a guard. Nobody will, nobody will pick him. But okay. a, I was a huge AJ Can fan when he was back in South Carolina. Loved him, loved him. Thought he was going to be a, a really solid player in the NFL, and he has been. He's also coming off injury, and I think he is the one piece. That I don't want to say we don't know about. We talked about Kenyon Green earlier, but we know Larry Mitt left, Titus at right, Justin Britt's going to be at center. I think we have a pretty good feeling about those three, right? Mm-hmm. Kenyon Green was drafted in the first round to play, so he's going to be a one guard. So you mentioned Max Sharping. Max Sharping, AJ Can. I'm excited to see a competition, but I want to see what AJ looks like coming back off the injury. And I love to watch guys that mash a little bit, and I think he's got that in him. And so my veteran is AJ Can. Which I should make my rookie Kenyon Green, but I won't. The rookie is easy. It's Jalen Petrie. Yeah. I mean, he, you just, you've mentioned it before. You can't miss him on a He the was field. the showstopper he during just, OTAs. I mean, I'm to the point where, okay, he's not bubble wrap because he's a rookie right. and he obviously needs seasoning, but so far, so good. I want to see the other rookies, especially when's Mechie going to start really practicing. Yeah, that's full. the big question. We don't know. He'll probably start out on PUP, but we don't know. 
We yeah. haven't heard anything, so don't quote us on that. But And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's fine. I don't know. Is that the most – this is my last one, mm-hmm. but I know we get to it. Is that the most uh, – I said most interesting non-player development in camp, but it has to do with the player. But I think that's the biggest storyline that we're still sort of waiting for. I mean, obviously, we we'll to see all these players develop. Stingley. That's going to be all – I mean, Stingley we on the field. We haven't seen him practice full yet. So, But the biggest kind of off-the-field story for them is, when is Mechie ready? Uh, I mean, probably. I think it's got to be. And thank goodness that's the biggest yeah, off-the-field exactly. story, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, okay? I know exactly what you're I mean, saying. I know they'll, they'll always be asked about it. They will at least once, and then people will move on. The story that has hijacked the entire yeah. narrative. Not yes. the entire, but a lot of the narrative for the last year and a half. But I think it's great to have that over with. Yes. And we're talking ball, and it starts a week from Friday, and it's a beautiful thing. And it does. And one of the guys I'm even more excited to see at training camp, it's another Quesenberry. But not David and not Scott, but Paul. He's a fullback. They're dying. We don't want them to die. Mark and I had a chance to catch up with Paul Quesenberry. That's next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans. Welcome back to Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And before we get to our now good friend, Paul Quesenberry, just want to send thoughts and prayers out to Susie Galvan. If you know, you know. Susie, we love you, and we will uh, say a prayer for you and your family uh, for everything that's gone on. But I want to make sure that we give that shout-out to our good friend Susie Galvan in the Texans' offices. All right, let's talk a little. Paul Quesenberry, we had an opportunity to catch up with the fullback. Yes, there are multiple fullbacks on this team. You thought it was dead, but it's not. The fullback is still alive and well. Now, in some cases, they're more like smaller guards and they just hit anything that moves in a different colored jersey. And I'm cool with that. I'm totally and completely cool with that. I think Paul Quesenberry is, too. We had a great time talking to one of three Quesenberries to play for the Texans. Now, we didn't get a chance to talk to Scott, and we have talked to David plenty of times when he was with the Texans starting in 2013. This is, I think, probably the second or third time we've had a chance to talk to Paul, and we love talking to the formal, former Naval Academy Superstar fullback Paul Quesenberry. Here we go. What's it like this year? The system, the adjustment, Pep Hamilton's offense. Take us through that. So far, so good for me personally and as a unit. Uh, I feel like everyone's really coming along, really, you know, taking in the new offense and, you know, right where we should be at this point with the uh, offseason program. And uh, for me specifically, Coach Hamilton loves the fullback in the 21 personnel package. Mm So it's good for me because. That's what I'm here to do, and I'm looking forward to doing it. So do you and Janovich have a friendly competition going? How do you guys handle this? Yeah, you know, um, obviously it's, competition is just a a thing that is constant in the game of football mm-hmm. and it is even in a more heightened degree in the NFL. But my kind of philosophy on it is we're here to make each other better. We share this moment in time in our mm-hmm. life, and – you know, Jano's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he's going to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll but, tell you, actually. No, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I'll do anything to help him. I know he'll do anything to help me. And may the best man win. And that's just how, you know, we both understand the value in that. And ultimately, the best player is going to be what's best for the team. And if you have that many guys on the team that win those those hard 
comp competitive battles, then you're going to put the best guys on the field and have the best chance to win at the end of the day. So that's really what it's all about. Paul, this might be a tough question, but around the league and in different levels of football, the fullback has not been prioritized as hopefully it's going to be here. I know it might be hard for you to answer because that's a position you play and you play it well. Why do you think more teams don't utilize more 21 personnel or want to put somebody like a hammerhead like yourself there in front of a running back to go block and open up holes? Why is the fullback, uh, I don't want to say dying, but why is the fullback not utilized like it possibly could be? I wish I had a perfect answer for that question that addresses the entire league and yeah. how they're approaching their offensive play style, but Coach Pep Hamilton has expressed uh, multiple times that just appreciates what the 21 personnel package brings to the game. Yep. Uh, the defense has to honor it. They have to respect it. And it gives him the ability to set things up right? Uh, and, and kind of keep them guessing. So as for the, the rest of the league, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So what about the Quesenberries? Is this some sort of takeover to be one of the power football families in the NFL? Um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Is that know. the goal <laughs> or one of them anyway? Shoot. My goal is to make the roster and, <laughs> and play football on Sunday and, and help this team win football games. Uh, mm. You know, I, I feel like my brothers have that same goal in mind for themselves as well. Um, whatever happens with our family name in the game of football is kind of out of our hands. And, of course, I'm, I'm very proud of my name and who I am. And, you know, my both my brothers are playing in the NFL as well. It's really cool. Um, and it's really cool to be playing with Scotty here in Houston, but I think the legacy will just kind of come when we accomplish more in this league. So that's how I feel about it. Paul, what's the age difference? Is David the oldest? Yes. You're the middle, and Scott's the youngest? Correct. So Scott then comes here, and obviously you play. You both play on – it would be interesting to see him play defense because then he would take it all out on you for being the older brother mm. and all the beatdowns I'm sure you probably gave him. But – has there been any point at which you're in the huddle and you just kind of look over and go, it's kind of cool my brother's in the huddle with me? Has that happened at all? Yeah, not just in the huddle, but yeah. like every day in general. Yeah. I keep, you know, I keep telling, have the same conversation over because everyone's like, what's it like having your brother in Houston? I'm like, you know, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is yeah. freaking awesome. But when he first signed here, I wasn't too sure, like, how it was going to be. Like, our lives have taken such different paths. Yeah, yeah. And, and We've both been so busy and what we have been up to in the last couple of years and wasn't sure how it was yeah. going to be. And he shows up, we start going to work, working out, training, you know, going on the field, getting in the huddle. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm playing with my brother, man. Like I see this guy every day. And, yeah. and what I tell people is like, I haven't spent this kind of time with him yeah. since we were kids. And it's pretty cool because oh. it just, it reminds you daily, like how special it is to be mm -hmm. playing a game. Yep. Like, this is just kind of the same stuff we were doing right. when we were little kids, you know, running around at mom and dad's. And, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's freaking awesome. Well, you talked about a, a moment in our lives with Andy Janovich, but here you are with your brother. I mean, talk about a moment in your lives. And for an organization that drafted your brother, David, and obviously everybody's very familiar here with his story. And what is your memory of that as he went through that here in Houston and the organization stuck by him and the treatment right here at the Texas Medical Center and everything involved with that? I mean, I remember him training on the hill when you walk over the the bridge. He was on that hill all the time. We were going to rename it Quesenberry Hill <laughs> and uh, eventually able to ring that bell and, and get out of treatment and be cancer free. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, obviously when my brother first got diagnosed, I, it was a devastating thing for him and for our family and 
I just remember like being in shock. Like I couldn't believe it. Um, how does a guy go from literally the peak of his, you know, physical capability to such a low place and then to come back and, you know, the support of the Texans organization and the McNair family, um, you know, Mr. McNair, he would go to the hospital often and spend time with my brother in the hospital. And mm -hmm. I just remember thinking like, dang, man, like that's a, a very committed, uh, very busy man and with a lot of things going on in his life and for him to take the time to go spend you know some time with my brother in the hospital it's like that's pretty a special deal and uh i just remember being so thankful that he was here in houston and that they were looking out for him the way they were because i don't want to say it would be different elsewhere because i don't know but he was just very fortunate that they looked out for him that way and then for him coming back and getting to play again and you know he's mm -hmm. having couple good successful years playing ball you know on the back end of you know just being in such a dark spot it's just freaking awesome i'm so proud of him i'm very happy for him but i hate that it's with the tennessee titans well, he's with I, buffalo now so. i know he's with buffalo now that's okay <laughs> yeah. we can be happy just, with that. i didn't like it with the titans <laughs> yeah, yeah it was all, I, and i saw him last year on the field before we played him and and uh just gave him a big hug and he's like yeah you know i've got i've got a kid now i was just like Wait, what? And it just, yeah. I, I was so happy for him. But Paul, people listen to this interview are like, Bob Manor guy. How in the heck does he play fullback? Because my impression of a guy that plays fullback and plays it the way that you do, you unfortunately don't get a lot of carries. You don't get a ton of touches the passing game. So your sole goal is that guy's in a different color jersey, and I'm going to go ruin him. Do you have to go somewhere different mentally when you get on a field, when you know – that's the job that you're about to do because you're a mild-mannered, yes-sir-no-sir kind of guy, but then you go on the field and it's got to be a different mindset. No? How do you look at it? To play fullback, you got to definitely – Think be, different? Think differently. You got to be gritty, and you kind of got to want it. Um, you know, that physical, violent kind of nastiness that's yeah. required to be good at it. Um, and if I was like that – walking around just <laughs> people like dude what's your problem you know yeah. i don't want to i don't want to walk by that guy he's a weirdo um so yeah when you get to you know training camp practices and uh on a game day and stuff like that you kind of got to click into that place oh. that little you know kind of dark spot and, yeah and just apply it there and go do your thing uh get it all out and then let it leave it there until next week. So, Well, Paul, we really appreciate the visit. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, last question I asked him about that dark spot, as he called it. There is that spot you have to go to when you go between the lines, and it's not something that we talk about or we glorify, but I think it's especially for that position, man. You know I'm about to go hit that 245-pound linebacker on his lead zone whatever the play might be, and I got to go somewhere mentally because this is going to be a car crash, and I mentally have to be able to do that and do it well. Man, I got to go someplace different mentally, and I have such respect and so much respect, all the respect in the world for the guys that play that position and to play linebacker and to play fullback. And look, it's for anybody that sets foot on the field, but – those positions in particular, the collisions, are just inhumane. It's unbelievable. I've been listening to this podcast 
But Andrew Luck was done by Zach Key for The Athletic. And I can't help but as he talks through some of Andrew Luck's injuries, one of them he's talked about in particular was the ruptured spleen that he had in 2015, I think it was. And he was urinating blood. He was throwing up blood. And the doctors told him it was as if he was in a car crash. And he got hit by a linebacker. And that happens regularly in this game. And it's incredible what these guys put their, their bodies through. But mentally, they got to go somewhere different to be able to do it. And I know Paul has to do that on a pretty daily basis for the job that he's asked to do. But, man, that was fun talking to him. We now – I shouldn't say we've talked to all three Quisenberries. I have because I interviewed Scott at the Senior Bowl many years ago when I think David was still with us. And so I've interviewed all three NFL Quisenberries. Put that on my track record. Very, very proud of that because that is one heck of a family. Uh, David and Scott. And Paul, Scott and Paul, now with the Texans, and Paul Quisenberry, who you just heard from. All right, we're going to go around the NFL. One wide receiver has a 99 on Madden. I have a little bit of an issue with that. And yes, Madden ratings matter. Just ask Keenan Allen, because he's none too happy about his. We'll talk about that next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access coming at you. Big thanks to Paul Quesenberry and, of course, to Mark for joining me for the first couple of segments. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you. And I love getting the opportunity to go around the NFL and talk about things that are happening, especially when the Madden ratings come out. And I know Madden ratings don't mean uh, a ton, but it's good talking fodder, if you will. And I was struck today by what Madden had come up with for its receivers, the top 10 wide receivers in Madden 23. Now, uh, not under any pretenses. I don't, I don't think they'll have Brandon Cooks in that top 10, and I, I wish they did, but they, they don't and not going to. So really, no Texas involved. But I thought this was interesting in what goes into this. The number one wide receiver is assessed by Madden, and Madden does a pretty – decent job at least the players believe it of how they get rated Devontae Adams the number one wide receiver in the game a 99 which is it's awesome that's the highest you can get can't get 100 they go to 99 Devontae Adams there's no other 99 which makes Cooper Cup number two at number at number 98 I don't buy that I don't get it Cooper Cup is fantastic He's the best wide receiver in the game, bar none. And look, Devontae Adams is fantastic. He's a great player. It, it's arguing, like, what's better, strawberry pie or key lime pie? Like, it's just a kind of, you know, whichever flavor floats your boat. But Cooper Cup comes in number two, and that, and that was kind of the one I had a, one of the biggest issues with. Here's the other one. You'll recognize a name missing. Tyreek Hill, 97. DeAndre Hopkins, number four, 96. I don't know that you can argue with any top four. Stephon Diggs, top five, uh, 95. Justin Jefferson Jefferson comes in at six and 93. Mike Evans is next. Mike Evans, Mark and I talked about this off the air. He's one of the most underrated players ever. He's gone for 1,000 yards every single year in the league. Consistent, not a diva, works his butt off, offered to give up money so they could keep Chris Godwin there in Tampa Bay. I mean, he's just, he's awesome. Galveston Ball, love him because he's a local guy. Mike Evans, 92. So he's seventh. Eighth, Terry McLaurin and Keenan Allen are both tied for eighth. Keenan Allen had a massive problem with this. He just posted a video of him laughing and then saying, who's saying these things? Who's rating these? 
these guys and these receivers because this isn't right. So Keenan Allen, that's the second year in a row. I mean, Keenan Allen's fantastic. I don't know that I can make a case for Keenan Allen above any of those other guys, though. But I think higher than 91, I could do that. I think could get him to a 93. I don't think Mike's a 93. I think he's a 94, 95. And last in the top 10, at least anyway, is Mari Cooper. Now, there's no Jamar Chase. There's no Debo Samuel. Now, I don't know exactly how they're rating Debo Samuel. They put him in the wide receiver category or they put him in the, the weapon X category. I don't know. But I know Debo Samuel, based on the play that I saw last year, even the first half of the year where he was receiver, receiver only, his numbers were going to be off the chart. Why in the heck is he not in the top 10? Uh, you can't tell me in good conscience that the Cowboys gave up on a top 10 receiver like Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper's not a top 10 receiver in this league. He's a very good receiver. And eventually, Jacoby Brissett and Sean Watson will like throwing to him. But that's really all they have in Cleveland. I just don't buy it. Not ahead of Jamar Chase. Not ahead of Debo Samuel. And Cooper Cup, a 98. Hey, man. Mad can get you going just a little bit. It got me going today as I was looking through those ratings. I do think Devontae Adams should be a 99. I don't think there's any question with that. That's going to be a battle. We saw him in 2020. We're going to see him again in 2022. Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, he's an exquisite route runner, tremendous hands, a great physically gifted receiver with the football IQ to match. Devontae Adams is going to be a handful when we face them in in Las Vegas. That's going to be fun. In Las Vegas in October, Devontae Adams in 99, the only Wide receiver, 99 in the league. Again, a big thanks to Paul Quesenberry, to Mark Vandermeer, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.